0: Today, we're going to talk about, uh, for the next few weeks, except for next week with the baptism, we're going to talk about a topic uh, called taking healing seriously, taking healing seriously. Now, in in my experience, and I I think I could say a broad experience, uh, decades in ministry, I've been in in hundreds of churches, literally, Uh, know hundreds of pastors personally I've uh, been all across the United States and, and uh, you know, and a couple other continents. I can say that, in general, followers of Jesus uh, don't tend to, especially in America, don't tend to take healing very seriously. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I'm not going to unpack everything. You know, right now, when I say healing, and, I, and I'm speaking specifically of physical healing, prayer to God for specific physical healing, I think, you know, there's a cascade of questions and, and ideas and reactions that just start unfolding, and, and we're not going to cover all of them in, in one teaching, and we're not going to cover all of them in the next four or five weeks, but each week I want to try to address some aspect of this, and part of, uh, if, you, if you go to Vineyard Churches anywhere, we, like, like churches, tend to have a, a liturgy, uh, an order of the service. And the order of the vineyard service tends to be worship, word, and then works. Meaning that we believe that God's real. We're not just talking about an abstraction. That we're gathering to, to celebrate a person who loves us and, and made us and forgives us and is real. And so we want to welcome him, and we want to, we, because we believe, uh, we're taught to welcome him because he wants to interact with us. He made us for himself. He made us to enjoy him. In fact, there's a, a catechism in uh, some parts of the church, and in that catechism, one of the tenets that they, that they stress, that they drill into the, the youth that are taking the catechism is they ask him, what is man's chief end? In other words, what's man's purpose? And the response that they're taught is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, enjoyment is, is a very visceral thing, isn't it? And God means for us to enjoy Him. He mean, in other words, He means for us to know Him in this direct personal way. And so when I interact with people about healing, what I've found and the, there's more than 5 general views about healing but i'm going to give you 5 general views about healing that i've come across and and interacting with people about this and listening to people i re, I've, i know i've read probably 60 plus books about this whole issue that deal just primarily with this issue and i'm not there's lots more than that i'm just saying i've i've investigated this to a significant degree and what i've found is that people think about healing uh, along certain lines. And I want to take five of those today and, and just introduce four of them and spend a little more time on one of them. Uh, and so I wanna, let me just go through the five. In fact, if, if you look in your program, there should be a, an outline that, that will track along with this. But these are five views of healing that, that are widely held. In fact, interestingly, if you interact with one another, you take these notes to lunch, you'll find you probably hold several of these views simultaneously. And they're not mutually exclusive. But they are views that tend to, when you hold on to them strongly enough, or they get sort of drilled into your head, they will make you not take healing seriously. So the first view is, healing is the province of charlatans and the ignorant. Uh, When you say physical healing to many people, they just go, okay. (laughs) They start backing away from you. You know, have you had your medication today? They start wondering, you know, do you go to one of those churches where they handle the snakes? And they drink the poison. Uh, You know, where they, they, they enter the doors of the church and they turn their brains off. Uh, or were the, the the preachers of the guys with the white shoes and the big hair, <laughs> funny suits? It, you know, it's healing is this, it's it's become associated with something that you immediately your your gut feeling is I'm just suspicious of that. i just I don't want anything to do with that. That's just ah, it it there, there's a sort of repulsive visceral reaction. That's one, and because you've seen some pretty weird things on Christian TV, haven't you? I mean, do you watch Christian TV? I, I really don't. I have to admit, I don't watch Christian TV. Uh, that I'm not telling you you shouldn't watch Christian TV. I just find uh, uh, things on there that are troubling. And this is why people attach, because a lot of times the things that you see around healing, weird things you see on TV. Now you can find those things in real life too. But for some reason it's like, Christian TV just says, let's find the strangest things that we could possibly do, and let's publicly air them, <laughs> you know, all, all day long, and then let's ask people for money to keep promoting that so we can keep doing that. I think, okay, well, and, you know, my dad helped start the first TV station in Houston, Texas, and so I've been around TV and broadcasting, you know, I was raised around it, and I, I have friends who uh, were in Christian TV ministries and big ones. And it's just part of that, the, you know, the, that sphere. So that healing is the province of charlatans and the ignorant. Secondly, healing only comes through medicine. Now, maybe you don't believe that entirely, but that's pretty much generally held, that healing only comes through medicine. And if you seek healing any other way from God other than just in the privacy of room without anybody else knowing, with the curtains drawn and the phone off the hook, and the battery out of your cell phone, and your computer unplugged so no one knows what you're doing, you pray and say, oh God, would you come and help me? Because some people just think that that's, uh, you know, suspicious and weird. And, but we do know that God works through medicine, and the Bible doesn't have any, there's no conflict between medicine and prayer for healing. There isn't. Uh, some of the greatest miracles in the Bible, like when the waters were parted for Moses, it says "A strong wind from the Lord blew or it says a strong wind blew and and parted the waters, so God used a natural means to bring about his end so there's no, there's, we shouldn 't as followers of Jesus be trapped in that either or thinking it 's not that 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 will that will trap you from from ways that God wants to help you. So but again that look that view of healing is God only does it through science. That's pretty foolish because science has a pretty low batting average in many respects. All of us have buried friends and family members because science let them down. And I don't mean I'm not blaming science. I'm just saying The best doctors and researchers know the limits of their abilities and their understanding. And as much as we're gaining understanding every day, and sometimes in dramatic ways, there's still, you know, limits to what medical science can do for us. But we thank God for it, nevertheless. But some people say, no, that's the only way that God heals. And churches that really want to be uh, modern and places where thinking people can go need to you know put all their eggs in that science basket we just go no we refuse to be put in that either or thinking camp again third healing only comes through god's sovereign will in other words it's not even a coin flip some people think that we don't even know why god heals some people and doesn't heal other people there's no rhyme or reason to it it's like god has this huge this huge pair of dice And they don't just have like six sides, they have 27 quadrillion sides. And there's only one little facet that's healing. And he rolls them and then looks, nope, you're not getting healed. He rolls it again. Oh, look, I'm going to heal this one. That it's just, it's completely beyond our understanding. It's a mystery. And now there is a mystery to healing the Bible describes it but it seems like this view of healing it's like god if it be your will kind of prayers don't pray that way i don't go down this rabbit trail very far let me just go a little bit don't pray if it's your will pray and ask god beforehand there are times it's time for people to die It is their appointed time to go to be with the Lord. But that's a lot less than than the way some people would pray, would lead you to think. Uh, Fourth, healing ceased with Jesus and the apostles. Now, there's large swaths of the church that teach this. And I've said this to you before. I say there's all the love of Jesus in my heart. That is a doctrine of demons. And I hope that anybody that's listening to this on our podcast, if you're in that, under that kind of a teaching, you don't need to leave that church, but you need to read some books outside that tradition and outside the experience of that tradition because that is a teaching that's not from the Bible. It isn't. You can't substantiate it from the Bible at all. I've never had a conversation with someone who tried to argue that point with me that it had any success, not just because of my stubbornness, although I am a stubborn person. <laughs> and I do think I know more than almost everybody else that I stand in front of. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the Bible well enough, and I've seen God heal people enough to know That's right. you got a bad argument there, all right? And we've had people... From their churches around Columbus who stumble into our church every so often. <laughs> and I was leading a Bible study once where uh, a young girl brought a friend. And uh, in the Bible study, you know, we, we, we worshiped and we read the word and studied it. And, and we, we, who wants prayer? We were praying for one another. And this girl had these recurring bad headaches. And I won't tell you the whole story, but she'd had these headaches uh, her whole life. And she was a special ed teacher. Uh, had a master's from OSU, real bright girl, but, I mean, these headaches would be so debilitating, she would have to go into a dark room and be a, off her feet, any noise, anything. You, everybody have a headache like that? Horrible headaches. Nobody, I guess nobody in here has headaches like that. Okay. But they're terrible kinds of headaches. So they're praying for her, and they get a specific word about an experience in her life and she goes, and she starts crying and says, oh my gosh, that's really true. Because I want to tell you the whole story. They pray for her because she's having one of those headaches. And she, she came to the group and she was like, her eyes were kind of shut like this. And she sat through it. And I noticed, because we had a large home group, she was kind of a part of the room away from me. But she had that look, kind of her face, like she's grimacing, like something was really hurting. And uh, as they're praying, her friend was sitting there with her. And her friend goes to one of these God doesn't do miracles and heal anymore churches. And so they're praying, and she's watching this happen, and they have this prophetic word that points out exactly what's wrong with her. They pray for her, and the headache goes. And she starts crying and saying, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, the headache's gone. Because she hadn't lived without these headaches since she was in grade school. And this girl, who was, who'd sat under this teaching that says that, God doesn't do miracles anymore, so the corollary is. Therefore, if miracles happen, it must be from the devil. These are the counterfeit signs and wonders that come to deceive the elect. And so I'm in the group, all right? Now, I'm, but they're praying behind me, and this, I hear this, Oh, I'm healed, and she's crying, Oh, the pain's gone. And then this, I hear next, "Ah, oh, the devil is here! The devil is here! This girl jumps up and goes, the devil is here. And she runs out of the room, throws open the door of the condo, and runs out screaming into the parking lot, the devil is here. The devil is here. Oh and I, I turn around. And I look behind me. I'm going. <laughs> I tell my group, I'll be right back. <laughs> I go over there. What just happened here? And they told me. That, and I thought, wow. Do you see how that kind of a teaching can put you into such a place that you you can't even discern? Because there are counterfeit signs and wonders. And we're warned, you know, that not every spirit is from God. But it's just ridiculous to to see someone trapped in that kind of false teaching. It is false teaching. And I'm... A big unity guy I really am I interact with lots of parts of the body of Christ because I think we're the body of Christ and I'm sure they look at me and think you are whacked out in your whole faith vineyard thing and I don't think that way about them but I love them and they and I've had sometimes people say that to me from different streams Protestant Catholic Orthodox whatever but I love the whole body of Christ but this is a part of the body of Christ that is under a form of teaching that's destructive. It's terrible. It's bad. And I never tell people to leave a church for any reason. But I'd say, just get the truth. Get a hold of the truth. Well, that kind of truth, you're going to see, is it, doesn't, it just doesn't line up with God's word. It lines up with their tradition. This is where tradition, and I'm a tradition guy, tradition is important. We have a teaching tradition in our movement, but we constantly have to stop and say, We've got to make sure that our tradition hasn't risen to the place where it's authoritative like God's Word. It's supposed to inform our thinking and be part of the process we used to discern, but it cannot become a substitute for God's Word. So, the fifth view of healing is that healing is central to the Gospel. Healing is central to the Gospel. It's part of the Gospel. The good news that Jesus proclaimed meant that salvation, and in the Greek, the word salvation, to save, is the word sozo. And it was used interchangeably along a whole range of human conditions. One of them being the forgiveness of sins, another being the healing of bodies. And that you'll go through the passages in the, in the Gospels in particular, where Jesus Heals someone. It's the same word where it says he saves, and he forgives sin. These these two ideas are connected because salvation from God comes to a broken world, and God is concerned about every dimension of our brokenness. You know, as we push as a church slowly, as I think more like I drag you guys into the issue of social justice, you begin to realize systems are broken. And the gospel has a word for those systems to to change them. And they're not going to get changed until Jesus returns. There's always going to be chaos in every system. There's chaos in families. There's chaos in churches. There's chaos in every institution. Because wherever power is, the enemy wants to get a hold of power. Wherever power is... Fallen, fallible, sinful people will misuse that power and it will be used to oppress people. And so we try to address it and challenge it in love. Well, physical healing is a, is a place where sin has affected our bodies in, in very tangible, painful, real ways. I could point around this room, because I know you, many of you so well, and tell you hair-raising stories of people in our church who have suffered through incredible uh, physical infirmities and, and are still young people in our church. And Jesus, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus began his whole public mission and in ministry in a, in a scene I want to read today because he declares this point in this passage. So if you would turn to Luke 4 with me. It's a real simple passage, a real simple point. Then we're going to apply it, because I think you can see it. It's it's pretty apparent. Luke 4, verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now notice that. I'm sorry, he had been in the desert, tempted by Satan, and then he came out of the desert, and it says, he returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. <laughs> he taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So many scholars say that was probably, a, that paragraph described about a year in the life of Jesus. So New Testament narratives a lot of times are compressed and so the stories don't give you every detail or every Event or every conversation or every teaching. And in verse 16 it says, "And he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And that was that what they would have was they would have a lectionary where they would read that certain readings or certain prophets would be read on certain days. Sometimes whoever was going to do the teaching would read the passage. They would pick out whatever passage they want. Sometimes a passage would be assigned to them. Scholars are divided on whether or not this passage was assigned to Jesus or not. But whether it was or not, Jesus found, the, he took the scroll of Isaiah, the scroll, and these scrolls were incredibly long. And if you ever, I, I took a class in Hebrew, and you have to read from right to left. And after a while, all the letters look the same. And I can't imagine rolling, unrolling a scroll. There's no breaks, there's no punctuation, it's just... Looking at that, and Jesus was so familiar with it, He unrolled it, and it says He found the place where Isaiah 61 was written, where we call Isaiah 61, and it says this, Unrolling it, He found the place where it was written, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and this is what they would do, and he sat down, because whenever you were going to teach, you'd sit down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what he was saying was, the mission I'm on, the ministry that, that I'm doing, is full, the fulfillment of this promise you've been waiting for your whole lives. And your fathers waited for it, and your fathers, 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 fathers. So he's saying, this is it. And the year of Jubilee was a, a particular uh, part of the law where Every 50 years, what was supposed to happen was all the debts were supposed to be canceled. So all the money that was borrowed and, and uh, you know, all the contracts were entered into and commitments that were made, uh, and when people got behind and people then lost property because they got behind and the property was forfeited and they were sometimes becoming indentured servants and they had to sell themselves into indentured servitude to pay the debts. Or people were, had, had accidentally injured people and they had, had to run away. There was all kinds of, of distress that people got in their, in their, in their lives. They got gotten in, themselves into The year of Jubilee was from a provision of the law that said every 50 years, all those debts have to be canceled. Even if a week before, the year Jubilee started, you forgot Jubilee was coming and you lent someone a large amount of money and that person went out and spent it. A week later, you were required to forgive them. And it was a way that God allowed people to start over. It was a way to for people to get out from under the burden of foolish choices that they'd made and things that would... would, would consume their family and consume their the, the the resources of their family sometimes for generations and it was this picture of grace that god had put in the law which we think the law is this bad thing you know it's all bad the law the law the law god had all through it these pictures of his grace and his mercy and forgiveness and generosity and he said i'm generous so you need to be generous and so the property, the debt would be canceled. Property would be given back to people that had been squandered and lost. Maybe they gambled. Maybe they'd done whatever. And then those who were slaves and servants were freed. And slaves are very expensive. And indentured servants were worth a lot to those to whom they worked for. And so this was a huge write-off. Huge write-off the thing was, it was a time of great celebration, and it was a whole year where people celebrated. They they lived off, the the year before, God always promised, I'm going to bless your crops and bless everything, so you'll have extra money, so this year you can just celebrate. So Jesus was saying, you guys have seen me come in the power of the Spirit. Everywhere I go, the dead are raised, slaves are freed. People are healed. Demons are cast out. Lives are changed. And they're celebrating everywhere Jesus was. Wherever Jesus was, well, some people didn't like him, so they weren't celebrating. But the people whose lives he touched experienced Jubilee. And so he was coming and saying to them, today this is happening, now. And... All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Now, Jesus, he's anticipating their looking at him and saying, We know your dad and your brothers and sisters. We know your family, Jesus. We, you're nothing special. Who do you think you are? And this is, the stu- this is the thing about God's kingdom, and it's this thing about healing and the mystery of the kingdom, is this. The kingdom of God comes in two stages. And the first stage, it comes in the Messiah is a crucified criminal from the nation of Israel, which is generally despised everywhere To be crucified in the first century was to be branded forever the worst loser you could ever be, right? To to be called a Christian was a oh you're <laughs> right? You're a loser. Your hero is a crucified criminal. It was A really bad marketing campaign. But the power of God was in this crucified Jew because God was in him. He was God in the flesh. But he wasn't recognized for who he was by everyone. The first stage is power clothed in weakness. And there's this contradiction to this life of Jesus and what he calls us to. Because he calls us to take up our crosses like he did. The Jews never believed the Messiah was going to ta- die on a cross. Because in the law, if you died on a tree, it was a sign you were cursed from God. He was cursed from God because of our sins. He was cursed in our place. That's what the whole book said about the Messiah. Over and over and over. He was going to come for us in our place. But... This paradox of power and weakness, you know, of God and His glory being in a human body, people don't buy that really easily. It's hidden from a lot of people. And and you wonder, why is it hidden from this person but not hidden from this person? It comes down to people's hearts. And the truth gets exposed by our response Who who we really are gets exposed by how we respond to Jesus. Okay, and here in this story, Jesus is saying, you guys know God promised that when His kingdom came, and, and a kingdom is not a realm, it's not like a territory. A kingdom is where God's action is seen. That God's action of healing was going to be present. He was going to heal Institutions. He was going to heal individuals. He was going to heal communities. He was going to heal nature. He's going to heal everything. He's going to heal the human soul. And the life of God was going to be poured into people, and people were going to show that life. But the community of his people were going to be like a signpost of that future age that Jesus brought. But it was going to be mixed, just like his life, Power and weakness in the same package. And in our minds, we have such a difficult time allowing those two things to stand side by side because if we encounter weakness, it, we, we just recoil from it. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to experience weakness. I don't like weak people. Seriously, you just think of the people you don't like in your life at times that you, that you despise even. And a lot of times what you're despising is some weakness in them, isn't it? And Jesus came to identify with us in our weakness. He was despised. And yet, whoever embraced him and welcomed him and received him, God's power came through him and through the apparent weakness of his life, and the power came out. And in particular, an area of physical healing healing happened. But it just didn't happen in our experience every time we wanted it and every time we needed it. There's this mystery of power and weakness that go together. Now, Jesus is telling them, I know you guys think you want that year of Jubilee. But he started reminding them when they started sort of taking offense at him because they said, who do you think you are? You said that you're bringing this year of Jubilee. You're from our hometown. We know your brothers and sisters. You guys are, you're nothing special because see, they were raised in the same mindset a lot of us are. Special people come out of special families, special upbringing. And that's not true that's not always true. In fact, in the Bible, like the Old Testament, they had a big deal about the firstborn. The firstborn son was considered the strength of the family. And and he would get half of the inheritance of the whole household would go to this one son. He would be put in charge of everything just because he's the firstborn. Just because he's the first one that popped out. That's it. And you know what? That was a really, really big part of ancient cultures it was it was called primogeniture and in this doctrine it favored one child over others now let's just just think with me for a second do you think it ever turns out very well when one child is favored over the others in the household <laughs> i won't follow up with a question with that one there sandy I'm an only child, so I was favored. <laughs> I was always in the good end of it. But if I would have had brothers and sisters, I would have felt bad for them. Because, you know, I, I saw it in my family. And it's a very painful thing, and it's not wise. We're not supposed to treat people that way. So you know what God did in the whole book of Genesis? In the midst of cultures that favored the firstborn, God always overlooked the firstborn and favored the youngers, or blessed them. Now, he loved all of them equally, but he would call them to do special things, the ones that would have been overlooked. Jacob and Esau. Joseph and his older brothers. God's ways are different than our ways. And Jesus came along and God challenges our ways of looking at things and says, I'm bringing this kingdom into the world through through me, through faith in me, and my life will be poured out through faith in me. But it's not going to work the way you think because power and weakness are going to be merged together into a package that you'll never be comfortable with. And so these... And your response to that package really shows your response to God. That's what Jesus says next. And the problem is, when I read this next section, I want you to know something. The people in Jesus' hometown that were in this synagogue, they considered themselves to be people of real faith. Right? I mean, they were at church on Saturday. They, you know, the synagogue was on Saturday, Friday night, Saturday Just like us. They had a view of themselves. They were convinced that they had it all squared away. And Jesus came on the scene, and he didn't fit in their tradition. He didn't fit in the way they thought it was supposed to work. And so, the next thing Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus says that, when he says, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, I say to you, or a phrase like that, he is saying something to people who he's already recognized, they don't get it. And he's trying to get their attention. And say, now listen, you've already. Pre- I, I want you to know right now, when I say this, I recognize you've already prejudged the statement I'm going to make before you've even heard it. And you need to stop and set aside that prejudgment as much as you're capable of and wrestle with what I'm going to say to you because it's not going to put you in the best light. Because for God to bring us into something better, he has to bring us out of something worse. And usually that, that challenges the, the situation that we're in that we've become accustomed to. So he says, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So here I am, I'm in my hometown. So he said, I'm a prophet and I'm more than a prophet because they know the passage he cited was a messianic prophecy. But he's saying, I'm sent a prophet with someone who's sent from God. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in the region of Sidon. So an outsider, a Gentile. So what he's saying is, I'm sent to you Jews. I'm in my hometown. I'm coming with the mercy and grace of God. And you're rejecting me. You're just like the Jews in the time of Elijah who were apostate and rebellious and rejected God's truth and God's prophet. And Elijah had to go someplace where he would be welcomed. Now, he's giving them a warning here, but he, he doesn't. that's not enough, so he adds to it. He says, And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, who was the successor to Elijah. And this is talking about a, a period of many, many years, decades of time that Israel thought they were they had it all down and they didn't because prophet after prophet came to them and they didn't receive the, the prophet's word and the blessing that came with them. And so the prophet had to go outside of Israel, outside of God's covenant people, today outside the church. And he said In the time of Elisha, prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, a commanding officer of an army that attacked Israel. God showed his mercy to them because that man Naaman was willing to repent and begin to worship the one true God, and he was blessed. But he was blessed before he did that. He was healed of leprosy because he went and dipped in a river, did something that seemed stupid. All through this is this foolishness message that God calls us to embrace weakness, and when we embrace our weakness, we, we experience his power. And all the people in the now, do you think at that point the people felt a little like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jesus, you got our attention. We don't want to be like those people, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that's probably where this, the narrative's going? No. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. They were just saying, we reject God's plan for our lives Through you, Jesus. Because we're not like those people. Thank you very much. And we're insulted that you insinuate that we are. Because they were blinded. They were blinded. And in uh, Mark, let me go, I'm sorry. There are just a a few stories past this one in Luke. 517, it says, One day as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is getting attention. They were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for Him to heal them. And that story goes on to show that only one person got healed in that story. There were some men who had a friend who was a who was paralyzed, and they couldn't get into the house in which Jesus was teaching. And so they got up on the roof, they tore a hole in their roof, they rigged some (laughs) lines on the pallet, and dropped the guy down in front of Jesus. And it says Jesus saw their faith, and this profound healing miracle happened. This paralyzed man got up after his sins were forgiven. But there was... The the, the 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 strange thing about the story that we just read was, unlike you and me, they believed the Messiah would heal the sick. They just didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. Do you see how weird our situation is? We believe Jesus is the Messiah, but we generally don't believe He'll heal. We hope he will. But most of the time, we really we don't have that much expectation. We don't go to him with that sense of pursuit, like those guys did, who dug a hole in the roof, and you know probably started a, a you know a, a village conflict over that. You wrecked my roof. What are you doing? To drop their friend down in front of Jesus because they knew Jesus had the goods. And so, I think what. And Jesus kept coming back to his town in Nazareth, so he didn't just write them off. God doesn't just write them off. But it says in his hometown, that same passage in Mark says, he went to his hometown and they didn't receive him because a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. But he couldn't do any miracles there, any miracles that he'd done everywhere else, except he lays hands on a few sick people and they were healed. Now, does that not sound like the vineyard? In terms of the fruit we see, I hope you guys aren't gonna like drive me out the hill here <laughs> after after this is over. <laughs> or, or, or I don't know what you do, but we struggle with believing that Jesus will do this stuff. But we don't have the same problem they did, which is ironic. Now, in John 1. There's a passage, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to close. Jesus, John was describing Jesus. It says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him. We were made through him, but we didn't recognize him as our healer. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. That, That If you read the Gospels, you see the same situation played out over and over and over, that God comes to each of us in His Son, Jesus, and we don't welcome Him. We don't welcome the promises. Because the package that God comes in in Jesus is this package that doesn't fit our style, doesn't fit the box that we put God in. That we know you can't put God in a box, but we all do. Because we recoil from Jesus and what he asks of us. Because we think, I've got a better plan for my life than Jesus does. I've got a better way to receive from God than Jesus' way. But the way of receiving from God is always a way where our weakness gets exposed. Do you understand that? This is the simple rule. If, If healing is central to the gospel and receiving from God comes through the gospel, then believing has to have something to do with dealing with our weakness on a, on a number of different fronts. And so at a given moment, what keeps us back from generally from receiving what God has for us when he comes among us is that we don't want to embrace our weakness. We don't want to depend on him. A couple of weeks ago, when people prayed for me with my gout, which my gout went away, my gout came back. Thank you, guys. It's all your fault. No. <laughs> it is so hard to receive prayer. It is. It's so hard. I have to force myself to receive prayer. I didn't get a chance. I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden, someone says, let's pray for Pastor John. And I opened my eyes, and there's like 25 people around me. Everybody's waiting while they pray for Pastor John, and I'm crawling. And I I look really relaxed, and yeah, thank you so much. Inside, I'm going, "This is horrible." Everyone's focusing on me. I want to look strong, and I'm always vibrant and energetic. And but inside, I'm not. I was in a lot of pain. It hurt. It hurt like I won't say that word here, but it's in the Bible. (laughs) It hurt that much. If you ever had bad gout, it was the worst gout I've ever had. I couldn't even stand on my foot. I couldn't like if 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 a sheet touched my foot, I felt like someone was pounding it with a hammer. It hurt, but I sat there, oh yeah, but I just want everybody to go away. Go away from me. I'm hurting. I preach this stuff. But I recoil from letting people pray for me. Why? Because I just got this pride in me and this, I don't like to be weak. And you've all got it too. I probably got it worse than you do, but I got it. Can you, can you relate to that? That's, 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 to be human is to feel like that. And it, and it looks different, you know, in each of you. But Jesus said, if, if we welcome him, God, we're welcoming God. He comes among us. He wants to work in our midst. And I believe there's healing wants to do here today. But I think there's just a, a simple prayer that's going to take us in a direction, and, and we haven't talked about healing in a while. People, I talk to people all the time who think that that's all the Vineyard talks about. We just talk about healing every single week. That's the only topic we have that we ever study. I go, gosh. It's like people who, who go, I don't want to go to church because all they talk about is money. Right? You hear that all the time here too, don't you? That's why like our carpet sucks. <laughs> Because we, we talk about money all the time when we're throwing money at the building. Well, it's not true. But we need to talk about this because it's a central part of the gospel. Jesus said, when he came, the blind would see. Now, we prayed for someone last week who lost their hearing that week. They didn't get better. We're going to keep praying for her. But we prayed for people who were born with deafness. That were healed. Their ear popped open and they healed perfect. They heard perfectly. We prayed for people with cancer. And the cancer has disappeared while we're praying for them. We prayed for blind eyes to open. They've opened. But not every blind eye I've ever prayed for is opened. Not every cancer is ever healed. Not every diabetic has ever been healed. So there's this... The ministry that we do is the ministry that Jesus gave us. And he lived that ministry out in weakness. God took on flesh and blood and was weak. But everywhere he went, people were amazed. They were amazed at the glory of God that was revealed because Jesus embodied this strange mixture of weakness and power. But the power of God rested on him because he emptied himself. And then after he was raised, the Father exalted him to his right hand and said, because my son did what you wouldn't do, he gets the most honor. He already had it, but he, he, he gets a double portion of it because of what he did for us. So, we need to pray, and all of us recognize, to whatever degree that this relates to you, that you struggle with welcoming Jesus because of the weakness that it exposes in you. And you might not even know what the weakness is. It can be called different things at different times. There's multiple layers of it in me, there is in you. But we have to recognize we don't like that to be exposed. But for God's glory to be revealed, our weakness has to be exposed. Because then it gets swallowed up in the love of God and the the wisdom of God and the righteousness of God. The fruit of the Spirit begins to come out of us when when we expose our weakness. And these moments where we pray for the sick are are the most profound moments of weakness. Every time people ask me to pray for them, that's an overstatement. Many times when people ask me to pray for them because they think I have some special faith, I think, who else could I get to do this? How could I get out of this? Because it's so risky. And there's still part of me that wants to look good, that doesn't want to fail again. I failed so many times praying for people. I have some successes, but wait... 40 to 1, maybe more in terms of success to failure. 40 to 1. And it's, that's hard on you. A person like me that has a big ego, that's really hard on. <laughs> and, and maybe you have a little ego. But that little ego doesn't like to look bad, does it? You don't like to feel vulnerable. You don't like to feel like, gosh, nothing's going to happen. But when we go to help people and pray for them, we're going in our weakness, but we're going in the name of the one who is weak in our sake for our sake, but who has all power in His name. And so there's that weakness and power, again, and we hold that intention, and we pray, and we expect God to show up. Now, could you just pray with me for a minute, and we're going to pray for people, and we're going to dismiss. but we'll dismiss everybody, and you can hang around and we'll keep praying for people. I want to ask you to, as I pray, if God has brought to mind something inside you of your weakness that, that gets exposed in these situations, then you're responsible to God to repent of letting that become an impediment to you being obedient. Because the Bible doesn't say I'm supposed to do anything more than pray. I pray and speak to sickness and disease and trust that God will work through this, these foolish, weak words I speak. has nothing to do with a formula or some trick, you know, hold your hand the right way. It, none of that works. It's the weakness of human beings speaking to sickness and saying in Jesus' name, rise and be healed. What? It just seems so weak. But God came in Jesus and he seemed so weak. People rejected him, but God's power was present in him. And he's living in us. And he wants to work through us now. So bow your heads with me. Let's just pray for a minute. Lord, uh, your word has shed light on a struggle we have. And We struggle with so many things. And you said to your hometown synagogue, I tell you the truth. Lord, you've told the truth to us today. And it's shined light on struggles that we have inside us. We struggle with our weakness, with our weakness being exposed. And Lord, our struggle has kept us in disobedience and unbelief. And Jesus we haven't welcomed you when you've wanted to come and help us and meet us. When you've wanted to come and help others through us. Lord, we've been disdainful of healing. We haven't taken it seriously. And yet it's part of the gospel. You said that you the spirit of the Lord was on you to do this. We believe you're the same yesterday, today and forever. And so we come to you right now and we confess our sin. Lord, that this has held us back. And you know what it's like, Jesus, to struggle with weakness. You wept on the cross. You agonized. You felt bereft of God's love. You doubted and struggled, just like we do. Yet you persevered. And we pray that you would begin to form a new heart in us that's able to hold on and, and stay in our weakness and stay close to you and trust you to work in the lives of others. And let other people work in us, Lord, where, where we have been reluctant to ask for prayer. Forgive us for that, Lord, for our pride, for our unbelief, for robbing you of the opportunity to be merciful to us and get glory through our lives. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now and just cleanse our hearts and form the the character of Jesus in us today. The miracle of, of spiritual transformation, of character transformation, of new thinking and understanding, of new attitudes. Just plant those seeds in our hearts, each of us here this morning. Amen. Now, Uh, there's somebody here, you had a problem.